0: Another chance to uh, come together and to look into his Word. We praise his name. Amen. We want to uh, <clears throat> open up with a word of prayer. Amen. Father God, we thank you. We give you the praise, glory, and the honor. We thank you, Holy Father, for all you many blessings. We thank you for bringing us this far in the week with all health and strength and a sound mind. Holy Father, we thank you for keeping us. Uh, our pastor and her and, his, and her son, Faith, uh, during, in the accident. Holy Father, we just want to thank you for all things. We thank you for your all-c and I, you
1: know, a
0: protected hand of care. Holy Father, we want to thank you for being God. we got all our use of We ask that you lead us tonight in your word. Holy Father, you are the master teacher. And we ask that you open up the word of life to us tonight. Break the bread of life unto us, Holy Father, that we may eat of it and be what you call us to be. If we ask ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Tonight we're going to the Gospel of St. Luke, and we're going to look at a couple of verses in the uh, Gospel of St. Mark. St. Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, and then we're going to look at St. Mark, chapter 12 verses 29 through 31. Once again, that's St. Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, and St. Mark, chapter 12, verses 29 through 31. These are some very familiar passages of Scripture, but we want to look at them tonight in a different light and to... uh, try our best to uh, dissect it and see what the Lord is really saying to us in this parable that we have uh, read many times over but we can read the same verses of scripture several times and the Lord always gives us something different because there's no limit to his mind there's no limit to his understanding and uh, every time we feast off the word of God we can See ourselves in it. Let's look at St. Luke first. St. Luke chapter 10, I'm going to start reading at verse 25 and then on down through 37. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. This do, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went away leaving him half dead. And by chance the priest was going down on that road and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite also When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. And came to him, badgered up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy to him. Then Jesus said to him, Go can do the
1: same.
0: The thought I'd like to leave you tonight is which of these three? Which of these three? Now, here we have Jesus teaching in the synagogue. And and, and in this in this episode Jesus was teaching and he found himself among the Sadducees the Pharisees and the scribes they all converged on Jesus at this one particular time and they all was asking Jesus questions about the law trying to catch Jesus in a mistake and trying to prove themselves to be more than what they were but Jesus answered all the questions as the Gospel account lets us know. And, and he put to bed all the questions of the Sadducees, all the questions of the Pharisees. And uh so here comes this particular scribe to ask Jesus even more questions. But before we get into the text, let me read a little in the way of introduction. Everybody knows what well, you may not, but a lot of people know Stephen King. He's one of the greatest horror writers. He has written numbers of horror books and horror stories and made horror movies. A uh, very uh, scary mind to Stephen King. But this is a true story. And I entirely went Left on the Side of the Road. When Stephen King was struck by a vehicle and almost killed while walking near his home. It was like his worst fears had come true. King has, after all, he has a history of featuring killer vehicles in his work, in his movies, From his movie, Christine, to Maximum Overdrive, to from a Buick 8. There's no secret, he often imagined what would happen if everyday vehicles came to life. Still, King's stories and movies are fiction. But on June 19, 1999, Stephen King was hit by a vehicle while out on one of his usual walks. His body was thrown through the air and he landed in a ditch, seriously injured, but not dead. The driver of the vehicle, Brian Smith, said he swerved off the road because he was distracted by one of his dogs trying to get into a cooler. King spent three weeks in the hospital and underwent five different operations. King was left on the side of the road until somebody came by and uh, got him some help. But King... Talked about how, as he lay there in the ditch, helpless and couldn't move, how all of the movies that he wrote and the and the books that he wrote and the movies that he made, how they begin to flash back in his mind. He actually thought he was going to die there in the ditch on the side of a country road somewhere. But fortunately for uh, Stephen King, he didn't die. Somebody came to his rescue. So the story we're going to look at tonight, the parable, we also find another person that's half dead on the side of the road. And Jesus, being the great master teacher that he was, walks us through it. Luke 10, 25. See, he says, And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? See, now the, Luke uses the word lawyer, uh, I think Martin used the word scribe, but very interchangeable. The word means this guy was an expert in the law of Moses. He knew the Mosaic law from front to back. He could probably quote it in his sleep. He probably was learning it from a little child. He knew the Mosaic law. After Jesus had put to bed all the questions of the Sadducees and the other Pharisees, I guess this guy was the best and the brightest nine among them. So he thought he would come and and, 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 and test Jesus on some questions concerning the law. But Dr. Luke, in his description, he doesn't take the, the man as hostile. He doesn't paint him as somebody coming, you know, hostile toward Jesus because he uses the word teacher or rabbi. This was a term of endearment and respect. So he had respect for the man. He had respect for Jesus. He knew who Jesus was. Contrary to uh, any, pop, any popular opinion in the day, uh, what they thought about Jesus, Jesus' words and his works and his miracles spoke for him so he knew who Jesus was that's why he used the word uh, master, rabbi, teacher instead of charlatan notice he said now we're going to watch you look at it closely he said what shall I do he said what shall I do now the Jews everything that they did concerning their faith and their religion was a matter of doing, was a matter of keeping the law, was a matter of keeping the commandments, was a matter of looking just right in the eyes of the people, with every I dotted, every T crossed. It was a that was that was very important to them. What must I do, he said, to inherit. Notice the word inherit. That is a word that was also Special to the Jews, because the Gentiles look at salvation. If you look at it in in, in, the, uh, in the in the in the in the Word of God, most of the Gentiles, when they spoke of salvation, they speak of obtaining salvation or salvation given to them as a gift. But the Jews, when they spoke of salvation, they spoke of inheriting salvation. Or, in other words, what do I have to do to earn it? What do I have to do to earn it? So this was the mindset he was coming to Jesus with. This is the mindset that oftentimes religious people, saints, Christians, whatever you want to call them, they come to God with that mindset that they got to do things to earn salvation. But Jesus is going to let us see that it's not about what we can do to earn. We can't earn Nothing. Our good is dirt, filth, and rags. We can't earn the kingdom of God, even if we wanted to, even if we tried, even from the time we were born to to adulthood. If we did nothing wrong, or just laid there in the bed our whole life. We still could not earn salvation because we were born and shaped in iniquity when we took our first breath. So we have to come by the way of Jesus. Verse 26. He and look what Jesus said. He said, What is written in the law? What is written in your law? That that Mosaic law that you study so meticulously every day. He said, How do you interpret it? Notice what Jesus did. See, this lawyer, this doctor of the law, came asking Jesus questions. In other words, put Jesus on the witness stand. Jesus flipped the script really quick. He flipped it around. Now, I'm asking the question, who do, how do you interpret the law? And so, Jesus is the one asking questions now. That's quick, not scribe. Now, the reason we're going to look at Mark because Mark tells the same parable that Jesus spoke about. But the reason we want to go to Mark is because Mark is the oldest gospel written. So Mark wrote it first before Luke, before Matthew, before John. Mark was the first gospel. So In other words, what Mark did, Mark gave the outline sketch of this parable. Because, you know, Mark wrote in brief words. His his, his stuff was short. The stories are shorter. The parables are shorter. So he would write in brief outline sketches. And Luke, what Luke did, taking the information in from Mark, Luke comes back and fills in more of the details to color in the outline of Mark. So that's why Luke's gospel of the same parable has more details. But we still need to go back to Mark and get the original, because notice in Luke ten twenty seven, Luke has described answering Jesus' question about what's written in the law. But when we flip to Mark. Chapter 12 and verse 29, we have Jesus answering the question himself. And that's where we want to start. So, Jesus answers the question. Look what Jesus said in Mark 12 and 29, in reference to what is written in the law. Jesus said, The foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God. With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Verse thirty-one. And the second is this: You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment. There is no greater. Com- there is no greater. There is no other commandment greater than these. There is no other commandment greater than Jesus. Now notice what Jesus did here. Because he knew that the scribe knew the Old Testament law. But he, Jesus took the Shama, which is Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Here in verse 29 and 30. Every Jew knew the Shama; They knew this was like their constitution where every Jew to love the Lord God. To hear that the Lord is one, first of all. You to love him with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, but when you read the psalm, somebody might say, when you read Deuteronomy 6 and 4, it only says to love the Lord with your heart, your soul, and your strength. But how come Mark here has four words? Mark has Heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now, the reason that Mark has four words compared to what the Shaman has, what Deuteronomy sixty four has, only three. It is because the Hebrew word for heart, when we translate it into the Greek we get the word heart, one word. But in the original writing, the Hebrew word really is two words. So our Greek word for heart being one word, in the original Hebrew is two words, which is heart and the mind, which composes the whole inner man. i me say it again. Our Greek word for heart in the Greek is really two words in the Hebrew, which means the heart and the mind is really two words in the Hebrew. Now, why did Jesus say he had to love him? Love him with the whole heart. Now, the heart is the seat of our emotion. The heart is how we feel about somebody or something. It's it's, it's, it's our inner feelings. We need to love God with our heart, not just with the dance or with the shout or how the music makes us feel. We need to love him with our whole heart. The way you love your wife, the way you love your children, the way you love your husband. And even more than that, you know, you can't really see that love but, uh, or really in total words describe it, but you know it's a deep love. That, he said, we've got to love God that much and more. And notice he said, he said these two commandments, there's no greater. But as we look closer, we're going to see that these, within these two commandments, it, it, it encompassed, all of salvation or our whole inner man. Then he said you gotta love him with all your mind, which is the seek of thought. Or in other words, it's our mind how we seek, how we reason, our intellect. That's why if we love him with our mind, our mind is not going to think wrong things of God or things bad things of God or perverse things of God but our minds are going to stay focused on the words of God and by reading the words of God our mind is going to be renewed and we're going to continue to excuse me to fill our mind with the word of God with the things of God and when we see that you know our minds are getting a little loose we are Get back into the Word. Draw ourselves back in. But tighten up a few buttonholes to get our minds back in love with God. And if your heart and your mind is in love with God, that's the nucleus of your whole body. The brain or the mind is going to control how the body acts. Right? And that's leading us into the third word that he uses. He said you got to love God with your whole soul. What's that? The Hebrew word here is it, it, it describes the life. Or in other words, the entire person. The soul. You know, that's why why do you, why does he call it the life? Why do the Hebrews call it the life? No, because when you breathe, take a breath, you know, you can't you, that's the life in you you can't you can't see the soul or the spirit you can't see it but take the soul out of a man and the life is gone take the spirit out of a man and the life is gone because we know that soul and spirit are words interchangeable so so that's why he says we just love with our whole life or in other words our whole essence. Take, for example, a movie star. Their life is making movies. Their their passion or their soul is wrapped up in, in making movies for people, making people laugh, making people cry, making people happy. Uh, a, a, a singer, they sing with passion. Their life is singing for people. And what does our life consist of? Whatever your life consists of, it should be bound in the bundle of God, wrapped up in His life. So whatever you do in your life, or in your occupation, or your passion, it has to bow down in love to God first, in order to be pleasing to God. As the Shama in Deuteronomy six and four describes every Jewish person ought to put in the forefront of. That's why he takes this scribe back to the beginning. In other words, back to the basics, okay? You come to me with this question, okay? Jesus always went to the heart of the issue. He passed all facades. He went past all platitudes and went straight to the heart. And the last word that Jesus uses here is strength. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your strength. In other words, with all of your power or with all of your might. You know, now, when the Lord, what does the scripture say? The Lord gives us power to get wealth. In other words, he gives us the strength or the ability or the capability to go out and get wealth to make ourselves successful. He said you got to love the Lord even with that. So how am I going to love the Lord with my strength or my power or my might? By the resources that your might or that your power or that your capabilities enable you to get, your resources, you got to love the Lord with those resources as well. That's your strength. So what does your resources consist of? What does your might or your power or your influence consist of? It consists of your money. That's part of your strength. It consists of your back in the Bible days they would have servants man servants uh, uh, female servants uh, ox cattle. They were to love God with those resources as well. That's why they went to the temple and gave a bullock, a turtle dove, a tempter, resources, because they were honoring the Shama, by loving him with all of their strength. We do the same thing today when we tithe of our resources. We tithe of our time, And even our families, our children, you know, a a, a wife, a husband, that's a part of our strength. And we are to honor God and to love him even with with that and those resources so there was nothing to be held back from God should he
1: ask for it
0: God don't ask for from all of us the same things he may ask from you your occupation he may ask from you your intellect, your, your brain power, he may ask you, your physical strength to do something for the Lord, or, or, or your money, your car, your home. <laughs> Whatever he asked for, what this is telling us is that we have nothing back right from him. And notice, when he went from heart, soul, mind, and strength, he went from the inside out. It started from the heart, then it worked its way, out to the mind, then out to your soul. Then not be your physical, your tangible part. So it, it's not in, outside in, but inside out. That's why God's got to have our heart first, before he gets our mind. Our heart first, before he gets our soul, or our life. Our heart first, before he even gets our resources, or our strength. Sometimes we may be saved, but You can be clean, but still mean. You know, you can be trained, but your wallet may not be saved, or your home may not be saved. Whatever it is, it works inside out. And that's why Jesus was letting this Pharisee know that it was more than than the preachers or the question he was coming with. Now, verse 31 of Mark. Look what, look what else the master teacher does. He combines Deuteronomy 64 with Leviticus 19 and 18. Look what, look what he says. And this, and the second is this. You should love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus takes two texts of the Old Testament scriptures that this scribe was very well acquainted with and he blends them. As if to interlock the one with the other and to lock them in so and make them so interchangeable that you couldn't have the one without the other. Look at the master teacher. What's he saying? Love the neighbor as yourself. Because what he's saying is if you love God this much, you're going to love people. There's no way you can love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and not love people. Or not begin to grow to love people, or not ask the Lord to to teach you to love people more. You see some older saints and and, and you know, they just some people say she's sweetly saved. Or he's sweetly saved. You no. Know, they didn't get there overnight. But as they walk with the Lord, they've learned to love God. And in turn, love people. You you wonder why? How could they take so much? How could they let the people talk? They say, i you. You should let people talk." To you you a bishop? You a pastor? But they've been walking with the Lord so so long, they know how to love people. This is what the master teacher was trying to teach this young scribe, this young Pharisee. He said, "Love your neighbor." Ask yourself. And notice when well, he inserts the, both of these texts to love our neighbor as ourselves, that's both quantitatively and qualitatively. So, in other words, quantitatively, he said you've got to love your neighbor as you. One, what do we say? Number one. Well, who, who, who do we normally look out for first? Number one, me, myself and I. That's quantitatively, as you love you. But it's also qualitatively, because he says, as yourself. So in other words, he says, as much as you love you, and how you love you. You know you know how I love me? How do I love me? Because I take care of my body. I buy me some nice clothes, some nice shoes. I like to have a nice car. That's qualitatively loving my quantitative self. That's why Jesus said, love your neighbor as the same way you love yourself. See, he's breaking down this Pharisee's concept of inheriting eternal life. Because this crowd thinking that eternal life is all about this, that, and the other. How he can achieve it, how he can earn it, what he can do. Christ has taken them all the way back to the original meaning of the Mosaic Law in this aspect. You can't go wrong. And you can't miss heaven. If you abide by these two commandments. Because Jesus says here, there's no other commandment greater than these. Because all other commandments are bound in these two. Okay? So we got the uh, original sketch from Mark. Now let's go back and fill in a little color with what Luke tells us back in Luke 10. Luke 10 and verse
1: 29.
0: Look what Jesus says. Jesus says, Bravo. You answered correctly. He he said, "If you do this, you will live." See, hey, that sounds—that sounds like easy thing to do, right? Love the Lord, easy said than done. It's easy said than done. And when you when you consider
1: people
0: and everything's going on in our world today, it's easier said than done, ain't it? Verse twenty nine. In Luke 10. But look what it says. But wishing to justify himself. He says to Jesus, who is my name? He says,
1: See, look.
0: See, now Jesus has this top-notch expert of the law back on the ropes. He's going to defend him now. Because Jesus took the around and asked him the question. And now he, 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 he's feeling he's some type of way. So now he's got to justify himself. Or you know, or you know, he can't he look, he can't look bad in front of his fellow scribes. they're all sitting around listening and watching. He gonna he don't want to be embarrassed. So look what he asked Jesus, okay? So who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Once again, he knew the law. And so that's why he said, Who is my neighbor? So in other words, he said, "Who I exclude them? Because he didn't come with the mind of loving his neighbor. All of he wants to know, because in 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 the Jewish mind, everybody wasn't a neighbor. Because the Jews interpreted interpreted the word neighbor to exclude Samaritans and Gentiles." They didn't consider them as a neighbor. The Jews considered the neighbor to be only a fellow Jew or somebody in the same religious community. Well, if you look at it, if you, if you look at the gospel record, we'll see that according to the text, it's, it, it appears that the Jews were some of the most prejudiced people going at the time. If you wasn't a Jew, you wasn't nobody. Hmm? If you wasn't a Jew, some of the Jews used to pray that that the babies of Gentiles would not make it through birth, and they felt that they were right and pious in their praying because this is the way they were taught. That's why Jesus was trying to get this guy back on focus about what this thing is all about. And that's why we can't get so caught up in race and and, and, and the black man, the white man, the Mexican man. We're supposed to love everybody. And say to God, everybody is our neighbor, which we're going to see. So oh, yeah. who who is my neighbor then? Hmm? So Jesus, so wisely puts this parable to him. Jesus replied and said, "A man was going down from from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among robbers, and they stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half." dead leaving him half dead Notice you know Jesus didn't give the man a name he just let him know okay this man fell among robbers and they stripped him so when you take a person's clothes and you beat him take his clothes he must have some valuable clothes for them to want to take or it had to be worth something. But they stripped him of those clothes. He did have no clothes on. So you know what? That's just it. This also made it impossible for the onlookers to know, is he a rich man? Is he a poor man? Is he some type of delegate? Is he an aristocrat? Who knows could he have no clothes? He didn't have on no no uh anything that would uh, uh, uh describe him. Cause it did it should not have mattered. It should not have mattered. His status. That's what Jesus trying to get this uh young scribe to see. It's not about status. If you have money, if you're rich, if you're poor. The Shama says you're gonna I said, love the your neighbor. As yourself, it didn't matter. Then she said they shook him and beat him, and then they left him half dead. He wasn't, he wasn't all the way dead. No, they didn't kill him. He was half dead. He was almost dead. I was I was trying to uh, reconcile both of these texts, the Mark with the Luke, and 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 see. Why, why do they only leave him half dead? Why did Jesus help? Think about it, think about it. If somebody's half dead, then that means there's still hope for him. There's still,
1: mm
0: -hmm, little life in him. So, that gives us the chance for any passerby any onlookers that give us the chance to either finish the job by walking by and leaving them there? Figuratively pushing the knife all the rest of the way in by not helping? Ain't that what we do? Look at it. He said he was only half day." So it's, it's our responsibility to either help this person that needs help, help them to become back to full life in the best way we can. There's opportunity there. That word is pregnant with, 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 with hope that Christ puts in each and every one of our heads. What are you gonna do today when you come across people that are had dead? Are you just gonna finish your job and don't give them no hope? Don't give them a word of encouragement? Don't give them a helping hand? See that, that, that there is need and you have within your power to do it and you don't do anything? Some people lose hope. And they'll say, they'll say what's the use? What is that to continue to live for? Go out their brains or cut their risk think nobody cares about us. They were only half dead when you came across them. You did the review. So we don't want to contribute to nobody's spiritual death. We don't want to contribute to nobody's natural death. You know, when you see somebody you went to the scripture today. Cain killed Abel. I think I got that right. I don't think I got it mixed up. But one brother killed the other brother. He hated him and he slew him. He killed him. He murdered him. The first murderer. When we see another human, their face should say to us, Do not kill me. Why? Because they're human. They were made in the image of God. Matter how they look, white, black, red, yellow. God took out the time to make that man, to make that woman. He loves them as much He loves us. The circumstances that they find themselves in, are the circumstances that they are in. We ain't got nothing to do that, but 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 when we come across them half dead. We have a responsibility as the men and women of God to do something within our power, where God leads us, especially where it is concerned spiritually and naturally. That the Lord moves upon us to help us. Let's go on to the with the story. Let's see who passes by. The first passerby. I just had that person. It was a priest. <laughs> Was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, would coming from Jericho, there was a lot of priests and Levites that lived in Jericho, according to the, to, to the uh, to the history. So, even this priest was coming from Jerusalem down to Jericho or going from Jericho up to Jerusalem. He was either coming from his spiritual service or going to his spiritual service. The text doesn't really tell us what was his motive. But we knew he was a priest. So we knew that he knew better than to leave this man unaided. He goes every day to the temple he hears the mosaic law he hears how the the Lord says we are to love one another love our neighbors so he knew what he ought to have done but he didn't do it how many of us go to and from the church to and from our fellowship with the Lord And pass by opportunities to help somebody, or to just care, do something good, a smile. You know, look at, look somebody in the eyes. This 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 society. If you notice, when you going down, well, sad, even before Corona, even before Corona. People didn't look each other in the eyes. They didn't, you know. So when you look somebody in the eyes, you let them know you are important enough to to me, me to focus on you, and to either give you a smile or to give you some bright eyes or let you know you're somebody. Here comes another human being walking towards me. Let me recognize them, but no, no. What we do? We we don't. We don't no, try not to make eye contact. Or I don't. Want, I don't nothing to do with you, none of your problems, none of your concerns, don't talk to me. This is what his priest was doing. What good is it to go from the temple every day on this journey to go and just minister to the people in the temple? And all the sick people, all the head dead people out on the road to Jerusalem, from Jericho, he walks by. That's why I titled this lesson, Which of These Three? Well, then, then it resonates let you that the Levites also came out. Now notice, we don't normally want to make every word in the parable walk on all fours, but the original reads the words about the Levite a little more differently than it does about the priest. So because it reads a little bit differently, that's enough for us to, to stop and notice. It says that the Levite came to the place and looked upon him. So in other words, the Levite came and took a closer look. You know, you know how we do? We see the accidents on the road, we want to slow down and look. You wanna see anybody I know? The Levite wasn't the priest, the Levi could get an assistance to the priest, but most time they do what they see the priest do, but he got in a little closer. And he looked at you no know, looked at the man up and down and, and, and then he passed on by too. These were the people that were supposed to help. These were the people that were trained to help. These are the people that are paid from the uh, 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 temple and from the uh, worship contributions to help people. If they pass by, who else will stop buying help? The police are the ones... That are supposed to help. Our government officials are the ones that are supposed to help. But a day pass by and leave us unaided, unaided, unabated. You see why Jesus is taking this scribe through this story? Like a regular uh, looking into the uh, looking mirror. But there's got to be a reason why they passed by. We read this parable, we read this parable, we read this parable. Why did they walk by? A priest is a priest for a reason. And the a Levite is a leader for a reason. So let's, let's see if we can, and it has to be at least, it could be more, but at least three reasons that I come with that they may have walked by number one they were probably afraid for their own lives. and the reason we say that is because jericho the road to jericho well, the was a road from jerusalem to going to jericho you went jerusalem set high above sea level and Jericho sat down below Sea Level. It was a 13 mile stretch in between the two cities. So when you left Jerusalem, you were going down, like in the valley. You were going down. And Jerusalem was, I mean, Jericho was a road that was 13 miles long. It was very rocky, rocks way. It was a crooked road. So, you know, when you have a crooked road, you can't really see around the curves. But a straight road, you can see straight ahead. So it was cooked. So you, you couldn't see if somebody was getting mugged around the curb and around that curb. It was also n- a narrow, and it was down in a deep hollow, Good places for thieves to hide. And it was very fertile. So there was a lot of uh, 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 greenness, a lot of shrubbery trees and bushes to hide, for the robbers and the thieves to hide behind. So no doubt they thought, Chuck. I'm getting out of here because the robbers may come by and get and, and, and me. How often have doing, being afraid hindered us or stopped us from doing what's right? Go back in history and look at all the people that placed themselves in harm's way to do the right thing to love more than their Jewish community or their religious community or their associates. It takes the the strength of God to pass us here to do the right thing no matter what. To say the right thing no matter what. Whether or not our politicians say the right thing, whether or not uh, the congressmen and women say the right thing, It takes a spiritually strong person to say and do the right thing in the face of fear. The second reason possibly could have been it was a purity issue, because one being a priest and one being a Levite, according to Exodus twenty-one verses eighteen and nineteen, Moses told let them know that now if there was a scuffle. And and one guy got hurt, and, and he was left uh, uh, hurt, and, and 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 he couldn't work, and maybe broke his leg or whatever harm came to him. The person that caused the harm, whether it was accidental or or or, 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 or you know purposely, they had to make sure that this harmed person got taken care of got to where they needed to be. And, and it was the responsibility of the person that did the harm to make sure that the agreed person was nursed back to health. And they, the person that did the harm nursed the, the hurt person back to health at their own cost. So they paid for it until the other person got back to good health. So they didn't want to be associated as she ain't helping this uh, half dead man, because so if somebody else saw them, possibly they would assume that. Well, the reason that priest is helping them, no doubt he was the one that caused the harm, and according to the Mosaic law, he's responsible to take care of him, so that's why he's helping them. Oh no, so they hey They want to keep their hands clean. Gloves sparkling white. Don't want people to look and think. Bad about me, I'm, I'm the priest. Uh, uh, uh-uh, I'm not going to let of down. Saints may see it and think I'm doing it. Well, I won't talk to you too long because somebody may see us and think that we're trying to hook up. You see how perception, what other people may think of us, can also hinder us from doing the right thing? Jesus was a radical. He broke down the religious system of his day. He pulled them away from the erroneous intent that they placed on the Mosaic Law, and he brought them back around. Hey, the Shama says this, and love your neighbor as yourself. You can't go higher than these two. And also, you know, the Mosaic Law told the priests that they couldn't come near a dead body. Or they were going to be unclean for seven days. That was more likely also the main reason that the priests and the Levites didn't want to go near. But if they would have went near they would have saw that he wasn't dead, he was only half dead. And the third possible reason that they didn't help was simply because they did not want to get involved. They just simply didn't want to get involved. So they left this man half dead on the side of the road. Verse 33. But, look at the contrast. But, a Samaritan. Huh? Now this Samaritan He was prone to the same fears that he he could have been mugged. They could have thought that he did the wrong, but he stopped anyway. Don't let people's perception or people's accusations stop you from doing what's right. I know Scripture said don't let your good be evil spoken of, but your good being evil spoken of is not what Jesus said. Don't do good. He doesn't say don't do good. He said, if at all possible, don't let your good be evil spoken of. Don't put yourself in known situations where you know that it's going your good you evil spoken of. Now, if I know uh, a sister is two o'clock in the morning, and she calls the elder's house, and she needs something, that mercy doesn't happen, and, and I need to get there right away at her house. Hey, I'm not going to stop from doing good. By, by, no, no, people don't think, no. I'm going to use some wisdom. I'm going to take somebody with me, <laughs> and I'm going to turn on all the lights so everybody can see, me and this other person is here doing good. I'm not going to go by myself. Because they're not good that you even spoke about. But a Samaritan stopped anyway. Somebody that they, that they felt the Jews was no good, was lower than the dirt on the bottom of your shoe. Look what he did. He came upon him, and when he saw him, Look, this is this is the what he the difference. He felt compassion. Notice, he felt. This was the main difference. This was the major difference. His heart was different. That's remember? Love the Lord God with your heart, mind, soul, strength, and your neighborhood. It all starts with the heart. It's the inside out God. Now, his heart was different. He embodied and he obeyed the shaman and Leviticus nineteen. He didn't only read it, he didn't only study it. It wasn't just words on a page, but he ate the whole role. He embodied, embodied it. He 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 was a doer of the word. That's what Jesus also wanted to get in this scribe's mind. He wanted to remove the for the, for the scribe or for the lawyer, it was an academic uh, uh, exercise for him. He just wanted to show up what he knew and, you know, his academics, what he said. No, no. Jesus looked at, it. now. It's not, it's not about academics. This is about practicality. This is, we are doers. So, this is what the Samaritan did. He embodied and he truly loved God so he could in turn love his fellow man. He felt some in verse 35, we're almost done. Verse 35, he said, look, that's what he did. On the next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Yeah, that's, that's money. Two denarii is like uh, two days wages. A lot of money in those days. And gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Now notice, now verse 35 is the most Christological verse here. Now, when I say Christological, that means this verse embodies Christ. This is what Christ does. This is what Christ has done. This is just Christ all over. It's Christological. It's when you read this verse, it's filling up with Jesus. Number one, why is it Christological? He, What did Jesus say? He said he gave the innkeeper money. That's number one. Christ gave all for us. Number two, that makes it Christological. What did Jesus say? He Jesus said, "And take care of him." See that? Take care of him. God cares for us on a daily basis. Just like the Lord took care. Pastor Morrison and her son on, in the accident. He took care of them on a daily basis. Number three. Then he says, "Whatever more you spend, see, like Christ, Christ spent all down to the last drop of His blood. He spent all, and 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 and, and, and when we do like Christ." And act like Christ. And when, beloved, in our heart, mind, soul, spirit, strength, it's going to cost us something to help us. Whatever more you spend, you're going to spend something. You're going to be spent. You may get tired or get weary in the work, but you don't get weary of the work. You get weary in the work because you're human. But you don't get weary. Of the other words, He said, but you're going to spend something. Number four, he said, when I return, Christ is coming back for his people. See how it's Christological? Number five, he said, I will repay you. And when Christ comes back, his reward will be with Him. See how this American embodied everything that was Christ-like, but the Jews of the day couldn't stand him. You know what this tells me? This tells me, or it shows me, that yes, you can have professed Christians that are racist. You can have professed believers of Christ that don't like one race over the other. You can have prof- professed lovers of God and, 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 and not wanting to live among a different culture. This is what we see in our world today. Jesus was speaking against it then and he's speaking against it now. If a Samaritan that the Jews hated so much could embody all the things of Christ, so can we. And we should not look upon one another to judge. Can you can you can you hear the silence of this scribe as he listened to the master teacher break down the whole intent of the law in the first place? Verse thirty six. He says, So which are these three? Huh? Look how he brings the focus back. Which of these three do you think prove to be a neighbor? to the man so Jesus removes see when the when the scribe first says what must I do to inherit Jesus get the eye out the way and he puts the man as the focal point so which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man <laughs> do you want to know who who is my neighbor or who, who can I exclude from showing love to Jesus who was neighbor to him And he removes the mo the focus of the eye mentality to the him of the man. He takes it the focus for me and puts it
1: on others. It's
0: just like the one. leader of the Salvation Army years ago all the people was out waiting for him to give a speech a huge speech in me. they were just waiting for this leader of the new formed Salvation Army back in the uh, early days so when he finally came to the podium you could hear a hush of the crowd you could hear a pin drop everybody was waiting for this beautiful speech from the leader of the salvation army he got up friend take the mic he said one word others he said it again others and he walked off hey and he, and he walked away others it, it, which is the whole mission of the salvation army to help others this is what Jesus is telling us. I know we can't see. We can't see for what we see on a daily basis. It blinds us. So look what Jesus says. He closes he goes. Which of these three? So now the scribe is speaking again. And he said, The one. See, he couldn't bring himself to say the Samaritan. He goes, the the one who showed mercy toward him and Jesus said you, you go and do the same well, in other words Jesus said yes this Samaritan now you go and do exactly what this Samaritan does well, in other words you tell him you law expert you expert of the Mosaic law you go and do just like this man that you hate so much because this man that you hate so much and you think he's lesser than the scum under your feet you need to follow his example so which of these three are you are you the priest are you the Levite or are you the Samaritan which of these three Do you want to be? Uh Uh-oh. Let me tell you this. Which of these three are you going to try your best to be like?
1: Which of these
0: three? Oh, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for being a master teacher that you are. Help us to embody the word, to eat the whole loaf, and to live out what we preach, what we teach, what we read, what we hear. It's not just that I can do an academic exercise, but it should be a practical one. Our theology must affect our, 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 our how, how we live on a daily basis. That we can give you the praise, glory and honor. Bride our tongues, Holy Father, that we may say the things you have to say. In Jesus' name we pray.
1: Amen. Good night.